This morning I titled my message, Shining Like the Stars. We can and should be shining like the stars. And we're going to go back to Daniel this morning. I skipped it last week. Um, going to go to Daniel chapter 12, finish up this series on Daniel. Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your glorious presence in this place today. We know that your spirit is upon us. And Lord, just pray that you would just allow our hearts to receive the word that you have for us today, Father God. That you would encourage us, embolden us. And Father, just be with us, Lord. In all that we do, I pray that uh, your truth would be spoken, Father God, for the glory of Jesus Christ, your Son. And Father, again, that you would just uh, pour out your blessings upon us. And Lord, just help us to be faithful to you, Lord, in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. That is the entire chapter. And at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forevermore. That means you will shine like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I'm going to pause. We look at the times that we live in, and we think, wow, look at the knowledge that people in our nation, and people in the world, I mean, have today. When we look at how things have progressed just over the last hundred years, Think about that. When did they invent the automobile? In the early 1900s, right? I know Harley came out with a motorcycle in 1903. So, you know, around that time period. So how did people get about before that? Horseback. So they rode on horses for thousands and thousands of years. And in the last hundred years, they invented the automobile. And look at them today. They can drive themselves. I don't think I'd want to ride in one that drives itself because I like to be in control of the wheel. But you look at the knowledge. I mean, they have the cars that will drive themselves and they have cameras and things that will slow down on their own because of the idiots behind the wheels. I didn't say it. There. Well, I thought that. So you look at the knowledge, though, and look at what they can do medically today. I mean, many things today that they're able to cure and help with, 100 years ago, you would have had no hope. So knowledge has greatly increased. I mean, I don't know how many times in just the last hundred years or even less compared to thousands of years before. And we might look at this and think, well, man, we've got to be there close to the end because look how great the knowledge is. But we don't know that it won't double in the next ten years. We don't know that. We don't know how great the knowledge will be. We know that knowledge has increased. So we are definitely in that time period of increased knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, 
How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. So time is a year, times is two, and half a time, so that's three and a half years, is what he's talking about there. And when the power of the holy people have been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. My friends, we were kind of talking about... Uh, Sabbath school today confirmed my message greatly. <laughs> because the attack, the attacks are going to be against God's holy people. The attack of the enemy is geared towards the Jews and the Christians. I mean, look at it. I mean, it's okay you just worship a false god. They don't care. But you mention the name of Jesus and you are intolerant. You are uh, hate. You're filled with hate. So the attack is against God's holy people, even today. And it will get worse. This word reveals that. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. What a comforting word for Daniel. You shall rest, but you shall arise at the end of the days. Daniel began with a statement, and at that time, Michael, Michael shall stand up. Now I know that I skipped chapter 11, because chapter 11 is the fulfillment of many of the prophecies that Daniel spoke of, the interpretations of the many dreams and the visions of how one nation will rise against another, the south will come against the north, one king rises, another falls, and that little horn rises up. So it was just kind of the, a repetition of many of the things that we've spoke of going through Daniel. But the events in chapter 11 describe many of the things that did happen in Daniel's time, but this speaks of even those that will happen in the future, even in our future. So it speaks of the end time. The, the, Daniel spoke in the final word of a final world ruler in chapter 11. I will get a couple verses there. Verse 36 through 37. Then the king shall do according to his own will. This is that final world ruler. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither God, the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard, regard any God. For he shall exalt himself above them all. That is the last world ruler. He will exalt himself above God. What did Satan want to do? Exalt himself above God. So we know who that enemy is. I want to compare this to Revelations chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, 
and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Again, that's three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. We're speaking of things that will happen in that last period where there will be great trouble greater than has ever been since the world has been created. So that's proof that he's speaking of the end time. There will be, you know, there has been times of trouble throughout history, right? I mean, we look at the times of trouble, we look at the wars, you look at the trouble that has come upon the Jews over the years. I mean, my goodness, look at Holocaust, six million, over the six million Jews killed. There has been times of trouble, but there will be a time of great trouble that has never been since there was a nation. It says, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. What book? The book of life. Amen. For those who are written in the book of life, they shall awake to everlasting life. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ even talked about this time of great trouble in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. My friends, you won't need to pack a bag. We won't need any clothes. I know there's a chuckle. There's a little side part of this. We won't need anything. Don't worry about the things of this world. You're not going to need them. Don't worry about packing a bag. Because we came into this world with nothing and we're going out of it. We'll be clothed in righteousness. Amen? But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be, or ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So those days will be shortened. Believe me, I, I believe that three and a half years is going to be a long time if you're going through it. But they will be shortened. Great tribulation upon mankind. What will be some of the events that will happen during this time of great tribulation? He probably doesn't have, he didn't have these scriptures. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, we will learn where the Antichrist will sign a covenant for seven years with the nation of Israel. This will be the event we believe that will inaugurate the great tribulation period. At first, it will appear to be a wonderful thing, a peaceful thing that they will be able to live in peace. But midway through, things will change. In Revelations, we will learn that Christ, when He opens the first of the seven sealed scrolls, that the rider on the white horse appears using diplomacy and the promise of peace to establish this one world government. When the second seal is introduced, there will be a great war. The third seal begins the suffering and famine, and inflation, and the aftermath of the war that will be experienced during that time. The fourth seal results 
as do all wars and death. But this one will be great. One-fourth of the people living and one-fourth of the creatures living at that time will be destroyed. You think about that, you think of the world's population today, that will be, amount to one and a half billion people. One-fourth of the people will be killed. Think about that, one in four. You're standing there with four people. Which one's it going to be? And when you think about what I said earlier, that it will be geared towards the believers. So it could even be greater towards the believers. Time of great trouble. But let's look at the blessings. Like the resurrection that will happen at the end. Daniel spoke of the resurrection in verse 2. He said, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. Job speaks of a re the, the resurrection. In Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at, the last, at last on the earth. And listen to what Job says here. And after my skin is destroyed, so after this body is destroyed and dies, He says, This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Wow! And my heart yearns within me. Job said, Job, Old Testament, says, I know when this body dies, I know that in my flesh, I am going to be resurrected, I am going to see God. My friends, do you have this confidence? You can have it. You can have it and should have it. That when this body dies, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you shall arise and in the flesh you will see God. You will see Jesus Christ. Have that confidence. Have that confidence in Him. Have faith in Him. The One who lives. And because He lives, we can live. I found a whole bunch of questions and I'm going to ask them. Now hold off for the answer until I get through them. What is it that gives a widow courage as she stands beside the grave of her husband. What is the ultimate hope of the cripple, the amputee, the abused, the burn victim? How can the parent of brain damaged or physically handicapped children keep from living their entire lives totally and completely depressed? Why would anyone who is blind or deaf or paralyzed be encouraged when they think of the life beyond? How can we see past the martyrdom of, the, of some helpless hostage or devoted missionary? Where do the thoughts of young people go when they finally recover from the grief of losing their baby? When a family receives the tragic news that a little daughter was found dead or a dad was killed in a plane crash or a son overdosed on drugs, what single truth becomes their whole focus? What is the final answer to pain, mourning, senality, insanity, terminal disease, sudden calamities, and fatal accidents? What's the answer? resurrection that there is a resurrection that we have that hope that Job had the hope that Daniel had because God said you will awake that is the only hope that gets us through all that tribulation all those trials that come upon us 
See how it tied in with Sabbath school? All those trials that come upon us, no matter what comes upon us, keep our focus on the resurrection that we will experience. Daniel said, Some will awaken to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Contempt as used in law, even today, most simply refers to a speech or behavior that does not show proper respect to a judge or a court or a legislative body. One who is officially regarded as having engaged in such speech or behavior. So if they've engaged in behavior that does not show respect, they'll be found in contempt. It takes the form of willful, willful, can't talk, willful disobedience. That is contempt. When someone refuses to respond to questions or to obey the court's body or its orders. My friends, how does this relate to faith? That's very easy to figure out, right? Refusal to respond to God's invitation. Willful disobedience to God is contempt. Disrespect towards God is contempt. And they will rise to everlasting contempt. Those who disrespect God and will not obey Him. What kind of person would be disrespectful to a judge or God? A proud, evil, wicked person, selfish person are going to be disrespectful towards God because they're unwilling to humble themselves. Unwilling to humble themselves before a worldly judge and to humble themselves before God. We must humble ourselves before God. The wise... Daniel said, would shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The Hebrew meaning of wise as used here means to be circumspect, which is to consider all circumstances and the possible consequences. Wise is to consider the circumstances and all possible consequences. So that led me to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So you want to be wise. Well, being wise and having the fear of the Lord is the beginning the beginning of wisdom. Oswald Chambers says, the right kind of fear. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you don't need to fear anything else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Right? Did you get that? That was kind of a tongue twister. When you fear God, you don't need to fear anything else because you know you're His. But if you don't fear Him, you better fear everything else. The fear of God. The beginning. You know, I'm sure that there are probably some wonderful Christians out there that they believed on God at a very young age. They, they lived really good lives. So, that fear of saying, well, man, I was such a horrible person. I know that if something happened to me, I'm, I'm going to die and I'm going to hell. So, they, some that probably lived good lives. But most of us, 
Our sins convicted us. Most of us have probably had our sins convicted us. And we've had that time where we asked ourselves that question. If I died today, where am I going to spend eternity? I know I did. I had that question. And it brought fear. Fear. Because I knew the answer was not what it should be or what I wanted it to be. I know many maybe never had that question. But I did. We did. But the truth is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how good you think you might be, you fall short of the glory of God. Because it's only by His righteousness and our faith in Him that we can be saved. You might be a little goody-two-shoes, but you still fall short of God's glory. And it's only through Christ that we can be redeemed. Scripture is full of examples for fearing God in a positive manner. Many are. Joseph wins his brother's trust when he declares that he is a God-fearing man. That's how he won the trust of his brothers in Genesis chapter 42. It was because of the fear of God that the midwives spared the babies when they was demanded by the authorities to kill them. They feared God more than the authorities. Pharaoh brought disaster on his nation because he did not fear God. Moses chose leaders that would help him in all the work that he had to do based on whether or not they feared God and would be afraid to take bribes because of God. He told the Hebrews that God would meet with them in a terrifying display of power so that they would fear and not sin. The Mosaic Law cites fear of God as a reason to treat the disabled and the elderly people well. Treat people well or this is going to come upon you. Maybe we need to go back to the Mosaic Law. Maybe our prisons wouldn't be so full. It says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, 28. Paul says to work toward complete holiness because we fear God. A respectful fear of God. And I thought this to be the key for this entire passage, this entire message. Those who turn, turn many to righteousness, will shine like the stars forevermore. And you know, I've thought sometimes over the year, different times over the year, we know and I've read, it says, no one comes unto the Father except the Holy Spirit draws him. So it's all His work. My friends, it's not all His work. It is a joint effort. It is a joint effort. If you remember, I spoke just a while back about prayer. And why is it that God waits for us to pray? Why is it that He waits for us to pray and invite Him to intervene in our lives? Remember, it's free will. But even turning others to Him is a joint effort. He uses, He's chosen to use us in that process. James says in 5, 19 and 20, Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way 
will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Whose sins it covering? Yours, because you've turned them. Verse 3 said that those who are wise, who are the wise? Who are the wise among us? They are the teachers. The teachers of wisdom. They're the ones that teach. They'll shine like the brightness of the firmament. My friends, we have teachers here on this earth. And what do they do? They prepare us for life. Right? We have teachers that teach us art. For those that are gifted in art and to do things, we have teachers. I spoke of the medical things, didn't I? We have teachers that teach doctors how to cure cancer, how to do heart surgery, heart transplants, to do brain surgery, to do orthoscopic surgery, <laughs> orthopedic surgery. We have doctors that teach that. We have teachers that teach us to be engineers. We have teachers that teach us to be architects, to build buildings, to, to do all kinds of things. We have teachers that prepare us for this life. And the knowledge has increased. But God teaches us, or wants us, He wants all of us, not just a few, but all believers, He wants us to teach others about the kingdom of God. How are we going to turn them? We are going to teach them. That's how. And I know for a fact, as I already spoke, that that, that fear of what would happen if I didn't get my life straightened out, Yes, it was the Holy Spirit working in my life, bringing conviction in my life, but guess what else God did? He placed people in our lives to teach us. To teach us His ways. To teach us right from wrong. So my friends, you do have a part in turning others. There are many people going down that road to destruction. You need to be that roadblock. Be that roadblock. Teach them about God. Teach them of His grace and His wanting to forgive you. But you must teach them that they need to repent. They must believe on Him. Jesus said in Matthew 18, or 28 I mean, 18 through 21. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. My friends, and I realize that not everybody is going to be a Sabbath school teacher or a Sunday school teacher or a teacher in the schools. But my friends, have you ever heard the saying, if each one could... Reach one? Well, let's say if each one could teach one. Yeah. If each one could teach one. Teach one about God. You might not... You don't have to know a whole lot to teach them about God. Do you understand God's grace? Have you experienced God's grace and His faithfulness? Teach them that. You've experienced His forgiveness. You've experienced His power. Teach them that. Just teach them that God loves them. And sent His Son. If you can remember that, you can teach them. And it may turn them back. And friends, you will shine like the stars.
You will shine like the stars if you will teach them about God and turn them to Him. May God's Spirit use us to reach some, to turn some away from sin. That's what we're here for. We're not here for just all the joy and pleasantries and things that we can experience, the pleasures of the world. He has a redemption plan. It is God's will that none should perish. But He's chosen to use you and I to reach the world, to turn some from sin. So go and make disciples and teach them about Jesus Christ. Amen?